Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27. And while you're turning there, the title of my message this morning is God's will will win. God's will will win. Say that with me. God's will will win. Faster, yes. God's will will win. And as you're turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27, I have a, uh, a story I want to tell you. On, on um, April 24th, 1943, during World War II, while on a combat mission, a combat plane by the name of Lady Be Good mysteriously disappeared with these nine crew members while returning from Naples, Italy to Benghazi, Libya. And after several months of searching for this plane, it was determined that this plane must have crashed somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. However, about 15 years later, the crash site was surprisingly discovered not in the Mediterranean Sea, but rather in the desert, 440 miles south of the plane's intended destination. So you can see that where the plane took off in Benghazi, went to Naples, and was supposed to come back to Benghazi, but was found 440 miles south in the desert. And the question was, what went wrong with this flight? Well, after, after they did some investigation, they discovered that the plane's... Uh, disappearance on the night of the plane's disappearance under the cover of darkness after leaving Naples the pilot had actually radioed back to base and said that they were having some problems with their automatic direction finder also known as the ADF this is an instrument that shows you the direction that you should go and the the pilot radioed back and said we're having problems with the ADF and that's the last they heard of them well what happened in the plane is that the ADF was telling the pilot that they had reached their destination. But the crew knew that this could not be true because it was, they had several more hours to go. And there's no way they could have reached their destination when it was saying that, it, that they had reached it. And they didn't, so they didn't trust the ADF. And they lowered in their, their altitude and began to look for the light tower not realizing that a tailwind had come behind them and propelled them much faster to, where, to their destination. And they, the tower they were looking for was actually behind them. What ended up happening is that the plane, before it ran out of fuel, all nine of the airmen jumped out, uh, and the plane went another 15 miles and crashed. All of these men perished in the desert. Now, what's the, the, the tragic thing that's, about, that's um, about this story is that after the plane was recovered, they found that the ADF was actually in perfect working condition and that the plane was stocked with survival gear, food, rations, and water, and that the radio was still in perfect working condition. In other words, it wasn't the plane that was at fault, but rather it was the faith of the men in the plane. They didn't trust their ADF, and therefore they perished 
in the wilderness. And you know, this is very similar to the Christian life, isn't it? You know, if you take the Christian life and you boil it down to its barest minimum, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It's all about faith. It's about trusting God. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. It's, it's so simple. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but it is very simple. And just as the pilots were called to trust in their ADF, ADF to survive, we're also called to put our faith in God. But you know what? If we're honest, there are times that God's ADF for our lives just seems to not be making sense. Like, that, that can't be the right direction, right? And I have those times in my life, and this is, this is common in the walk of a believer. And if you've got your, uh, the weekly on the back here, I've got this uh, checklist called a, faith, a disciple's faith checklist. This is something that I actually run through in my own life when I start questioning God's ADF. I want you to look at that if you've got that. Um, I actually was talking to, I use this with my children, and I, you may have heard me talk to you about this, that when you're questioning God, here are some questions that, that I ask. Number one, is God good? Does he intend to do me good or harm? Number two, is he all-powerful? Does he truly have, does he truly have limitless power? Number three is a good one. Is God wiser than me? Does he know better than I? Number four, does God love me? Um, you might even ask, does he even like me? Uh, does he have affections for me? Or is he just kind of, you know, tolerating me, um, waiting for me to die so he can maybe, you know, punish me? Those are questions that I have to ask myself. And the, the fifth one, we've talked about this before, is he at work in my life? Is he aware of my situation? And is he doing anything about it? And you know, if I want my faith to fly, I need to be able to answer yes to all of these questions. Otherwise, I won't trust God's leading or his ADF, and I will want to abandon the plane, even though there's nothing wrong with it. And this morning, our passage that we're going to get into addresses this very issue. We're going to get the opportunity opportunity to examine a family that is really, really dysfunctional. It's, it's probably one of the most dysfunctional families you're ever going to meet. And it, the reason that they're dysfunctional is because they aren't trusting God. And therefore, they don't trust each other. And this produces a dysfunction in all of their relationships. And if you'll remember, a couple of weeks ago, Abraham, remember Abraham? He secured a wife for his son. Who remembers what her name was? Rebecca, right? He secured a name, uh, a wife for, for his son named Rebecca. And she gave birth, to, Pastor Terry talked about this last week, she gave birth to two sons, two twins, by the name of Esau and Jacob. And while they were in her womb, they were having conflict. And Rebecca sees this war going on inside of her. And so she goes, she inquires of God, what the deal What's the deal? What's going on inside of me? And so God tells her what's going on in Genesis 25, 23. I know that this is review, but we've got to understand this if we're going to understand the rest of our passage this morning. God says to her, two nations 
are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, right here, God is revealing through this oracle that Jacob, remember, he's the younger, Jacob is going to rule over his older brother, the firstborn. And this is extremely important to understand because this is God's ADP for this family. This is the direction that he's taking this family. And it's just as God chose Abraham. He chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. That was God's choice. And then there was Isaac and there was Ishmael, Abraham's two sons. The older was Ishmael, the younger was who? Isaac, right? And God's choice was Isaac. He said, the Messiah is going to come through. The blessings are going to come through Isaac. And now we're moving on forward to Isaac's two sons, Esau and Jacob. And God has said, my ADF for this family is that Jacob, the younger, will be the one through whom the blessing comes through. And you know, if everybody in this family would submit, would have submitted to this plan, Everything would have gone well, but we're going to see that that's not the case as we get into our passage. So, Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. All right, you see what's happening right here? It's, Isaac's about, it says he's old. Commentators think he's between 117 to 137 years old. That's pretty old, right? And it says that his eyes were dim. Now we're going to see that it's talking about his physical eyes, but I believe that there's also a spiritual dimness that's going on with his spiritual eyes, and he's not seeing clearly. In verse 2, he speaks with great wisdom. He says, I do not know the day of my death. I don't want, I don't know when I'm going to die. And this is something that Pastor Terry talked about last week. This is a theme that runs through the Bible. We do not know the day that we're going to die, and therefore we need to make sure that we're ready. One commentator seems to think that um, Isaac was a hypochondriac because he actually lives at least 20 years more after this. It's kind of like that Fred Sanford Y'all remember Red, Fred Sanford from the uh, Sanford and Sons? He, he'd be like, Elizabeth, this is a big one, right? It, it, this is, that was like uh, something he did every single one of the episodes. I don't know if that's true or not, but he, do, he is concerned that Esau received the blessing. And on the surface, it might, might look like Isaac is doing a noble thing, by making sure that his household is in order. But actually, he's resisting the will of God. He is resisting the will of God by attempting to bless Esau instead of Jacob. And if you'll remember, last week, Terry told us that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a single bowl 
of lentils. He despised his birthright. And Hebrews 12 tells us that it seems like that birthright and that covenantal blessing were connected. So if you gave up, when he gave up his birthright, he was actually forfeiting the covenantal blessing. And so Isaac, you know, Isaac may or may not have known about this, uh, about this sale of his birthright. But there's, it's hard to believe that he didn't know about the oracle from God. That God had said, you know what, Jacob is my, is my choice. Jacob is, is the one that I want this to pass, the covenantal blessings to pass through. But if you'll remember, Isaac and Rebekah had favorites. They had favorite children. Esau was Isaac's favorite. And if you remember, Esau was a skillful hunter. It says that he was a man of the field. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He loved Esau's food. And because Jacob was a quiet man, he liked to stay inside the tents. It's highly probable that Isaac was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting this blessing go to a mama's boy. I want it to go to a man's man. That, that could be the heart of Isaac here. And so Isaac strives to thwart God's revealed plan by secretly endeavoring to bless his favorite son instead of the one that God had chosen. And listen, if you're taking notes, we need to beware. We need to beware when we think we're wiser than God. We need to beware when we think that we know better than God. Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man. There is a way that seems right to a man. It's contrary to what God is saying, but it seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Isaac's plan to secretly bless Esau instead of Jacob is his plan. It seems right in his eyes, but in the end, it's not going to go well. Let's look at what happens in verse 5. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. More striving, more trickery, more deception. Now, Rebecca, there's no doubt she knows the oracle. She knows the decree. And like a good mom, she's concerned about her son. She wants to make sure that he gets what, what's good for him. And she realizes that he's about to be bamboozled. But instead of trusting God, instead of resting in God, she comes up with her own plan. She feels like she needs to step in and be God's little helper. You ever been there? God's little Messiah. God's, God's not going to be able to take care of this, so I better step in and do something. And, and I can relate that when someone's mistreating me, or if I see someone else being mistreated, 
I, I want to step in and, and do something. And that's not always the best thing to do, especially when it's something that God has commanded you not to do. But the question I would have for us this morning is, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when evil appears to be prospering? That is a question that is asked all the time. What are we supposed to do about evil? Well, if you're like me, when you see things happening, this song arises in you, JC. Freak out. Don't, you just want to freak out and take control when you're anxious. But you know what? That's not what the Word of God teaches. Here's, let me give you one of the Psalms that I go to over and over and over. It's Psalm 37, 1 through 8. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. What is God teaching here? He's saying that when we fret, when we worry, it's going to lead to evil. And that's what Rebecca is doing here. She's not, she's not trusting in God, so she feels like she needs to implement her own plan, which includes secrets, and deception between her and her husband. And you know what? That is, that, uh, spouses, that is a very dangerous thing to have is secrets and deception amongst uh, your spouse. Kelly and I, years ago, when we first were married, we set some, some things up. And one of the things that we said is, especially once we had kids, is this. When we have kids, we will not have secrets with our children that are held from each other. We, we commit to each other that we will speak the truth, we will help the, person, the child, but we will not be separated because of secrets that are between us. Because secrets in relationships, they undermine and they erode and they cause separation. And that's what's happening in this family. Unbelief leads to sin. And you know what? Jacob, as he hears his mom's plan, he knows it's a sketchy plan. He knows it is. Verse 11 says, But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm smooth. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall be, my, uh, and I shall be, and I shall to be, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Jacob, he knows this is wrong. And he's hesitant. But it's not because he fears God. It's because he's afraid that he might get caught and get a curse put on him. He's got the boy, the mind of a boy. He's got the mind of a boy, not a man. A man is concerned about honoring 
God. A boy is afraid of getting caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And that's what Isaac's worried about. But Rebekah convinces him in verse 13, let your curse be on, on me, my son. You're not going to get in trouble. I'll take your curse. Only obey my voice. You know, later we're going to see in this passage that she is going to receive a curse for her decision and for choosing to walk in unbelief. And we need to understand that there always are consequences for the choices that we make. We always will reap what we sow. And in verse 14, it says, So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Re Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her oldest, older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So this is going, this is going pretty deep, isn't it? Rebecca is, knows that Isaac's eyes are dim, so she has to think of how am I going to trick him? And so she, by her own plan, makes Jacob feel and smell like Esau. And what's interesting is that Jacob submits himself to this plan. Verse 18 says, So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? All right. Isaac's getting suspicious here. Can you just feel the, the tension that's beginning to rise? But look what Jacob said, answers. Because the Lord your God granted me success. He is using God to try and cover his deceitful his deceitfulness, and to further his agenda. That is a scary place to be. Verse 21 says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near. <laughs> come near and kiss me, my son. He's still suspicious. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. What does that smell like? <laughs> All right, that's just a side question. So he blesses Jacob with the Abrahamic blessing. That's important to see here. And in their culture... 
when they spoke a word, it was binding. Whatever they said, they had to hold to. And here's the blessing. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. You talk about some tension. There is no way that Jacob went in there without sweating bullets. There is no way that he was at peace. He had to have been walking in fear the entire time, being afraid that he was going to be found out. And you know, that's a horrible, that is a horrible way to live. But you know what? That's what it's like to live when we live apart from God. When we, when we try to live apart from God's plan, from Jesus' plan, when we try to live according to the flesh, we live a double life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there living a double life? I have. You might be there right now this morning. And you're, you're like Jacob. You're trying to cover yourself. You're pretending to be someone you're not. And the fruit of all that is that there's no peace in your life, there's no joy, and you're always watching your back. You're always trying to cover your tracks. You're always deleting your history for fear that you're going to be found out. But let me tell you something. You've already been found out. Maybe not by man, but you've been found out by God. God sees. God already knows. And and if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to come out of the darkness. Quit playing games. Come out of the darkness into the light and allow God to take you forgive you and clean you and to put you on the right path again. And you know, Jacob and Rebekah, Jacob and Rebekah through deceitful striving, they did get what they wanted. They got the blessing. But they also got a lot of weighty consequences because of what they chose to do. And we'll see these in just a minute. So Jacob gets the blessing, and as he's leaving... It says that Esau comes in, like the other door, I guess, with his food. Verse 32 says, his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And here's the the hinge point of this passage. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. You see what's happening here? Isaac's spiritual eyes are now being opened. And I believe that he trembled violently because of conviction. He realized what he had been doing. He had been trying to thwart God's plan, but now he's realizing that God has trumped over his plan. He realized that God's will will win. And it's like Isaac came to a place where he gives up. It's like he surrenders to God. He says, I have blessed him. And this is where you can hear the surrender. Yes, and he shall be blessed. God's will will win. 
And in verse 34, the passage says, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Why is Esau crying? Why is he weeping? Why is he sorrowful? This hunter, this so-called man of the field, well, he's crying because he's not really a man. He's still a boy. Because he sees his error, but he's not grieving because he has sinned against God. He's not grieving, uh, he's not broken before God. He doesn't desire to repent. The reason that he's grieving is because he's reaping that which he sowed. And he isn't getting what he wanted. Listen to what he says, me, 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 bless me. And instead of humbling himself and submitting to God's will, he weeps for himself. He hardens his heart. And this is what he does later on in the passage. He says, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob as soon as dad dies. And Rebecca, here's this plan. And so she comes to Jacob with another plan. She says, listen to my voice and go flee. Go to my brother Laban for a few days until um, Esau's wrath subsides. She thinks it's going to be just for a couple of days, a few days. And, re and remember, we were talking about the curse. She said, let the curse fall on me. Well, if you, as we continue on in the book of Genesis, we're going to see that, J that Jacob does not return home for 20 years. And by the time he returns, Rebekah has died. The price she has to pay she will never see her son again. And this is such a, you know, a dysfunctional mess. And I think one of the biggest problems here is that everybody in this story, they desired the blessing of God more than they desired the God of the blessing. And I wonder, I often wonder as I read this passage, what would have happened if everybody had submitted to God's plan, if they had stayed with the ADF? What if they hadn't abandoned the plane? Well, unfortunately, we'll never know. But what we do know is that because they chose to go about their own, thing, their own plans in, uh, in disbelief, it brought about heartache, broken relationships, and separation. And there's so much that we can learn from this passage Romans 15, 4 tells us that, that these things were written for our benefit, that we might learn from their mistakes. And the question I have this morning is, what was their mistake? 
It's very simple. They lacked faith. It's, it's very simple. They didn't trust God. They weren't trusting in the gospel. Now, you might say, well, they didn't have the gospel back then. And, and I would say, in, to some degree, to some extent, that's true. They didn't have the full picture of Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins. That is true. But they did have part of the gospel. They had, they had, they had what God had revealed to that point, that God is a good God, that God is all-powerful, that he is wise, that he loves his people, and that he is work. He is at work in our lives. They knew that because they knew the life of Abraham. They had heard of what God had done in his life. They knew these truths, but by their actions, they showed that they didn't trust these truths. And so they came up with their own plans. But what this passage is teaching is that God's will will win. And you know, this really should be good news to the believer. This should be good news to us that God's will will win because what is God's will? God's will is for us to have life. God's will is for us to live and to be saved from this, the wrath that is to come. God's will is that the Savior would come into the world. And this story that we've been in this morning is just one brick in the pathway of God's story of redemption that leads us to the cross. Abraham and that crew, they were all looking forward to the cross, and we have the benefit of looking back. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, are you trusting God with your life this morning? Are you anxious this morning? Are you restless this morning? Do you feel like there's something that you need to do? Do you believe that he's good? Do you believe that he's all-powerful? Do you believe that he's wise and that he's lover, loving and that he's sovereign? If not, and I'm talking to the church here. I'm not just talking to someone that's never come to Christ. I'm talking to the church here this morning. What if you find yourself saying no to one of these checklists? What do you do? Well, the Bible says you repent. You repent. You realize that what you're believing is not true and that it's opposed to what is true. And you repent. You cry out to God, Lord, I confess that I am believing a lie that is contrary to what you have said in your word. Therefore, I've been trying to make things happen on my own strength. I feel like it's up to me and I'm trying to plan my own way, but I realize that I am going against you. I'm going against who you are. I'm not trusting in you. So right now I change my mind. I change the direction that I'm going and I take full responsibility of my actions. I'm not going to blame anybody else for what I've done, for what I'm thinking, and I'm going to repent and return to you. Lord, forgive me. And you know, when we do that, when we come back to God, and this is a, often a daily practice of his children. When we return to God, he has his arms wide open saying, yes, come back to me. I've already paid for that sin through Jesus. And when we trust in the Lord, it empowers us to do good. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he reshapes our desires to align with his. When we commit our way to the Lord, when we trust in him, he acts 
And listen, this morning, if you're considering abandoning the plane, let me tell you, don't do it. Just sit down. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Trust in the Lord, knowing that God's will will win. Amen.